in daring to believe that this facility, this city, and this nation will once again shine with industrial might. That, of course, was President Donald Trump speaking yesterday in Metro Detroit about the auto industry. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for joining us. Trump spoke with auto executives and gave a speech at Willow Run Airport in Ypsilanti. He says he's going to reopen a review of the Obama administration's mandate that cars achieve the equivalent of 54.5 miles per gallon by 2025. He also urged auto executives to create more American jobs and open new plants in Michigan and elsewhere in the United States. Also in Detroit yesterday was Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Carson, a native son of Detroit. He is on what he calls a listening tour. And we're going to hear about that in just a few minutes. But I want to start with Donald Trump visiting here yesterday, talking about the auto industry with Paul Eisenstein, who is the publisher of the DetroitBureau.com. Paul, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, good to be with you. Yeah. So one thing that struck me about what the president said yesterday was that he seemed to be talking about an auto industry that doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, the way he he was talking down the industry, uh, the, the decisions that have been made, the what he called disastrous economic decisions, that's the auto industry of maybe the 90s and the 2000s. Certainly since the bankruptcy, a lot of the things he was complaining about, we don't see the autos themselves complaining about anymore. And we're coming off a year when we set a record for unit sales in in the industry. There was something sort of out of sync, I felt, about the speech yesterday. All right. You know, I'm I'm learning a good lesson. One should point out the positive before one starts talking the negative. And (laughs) uh, so so let's let's talk the positive for a second. There's no question the Detroit makers and perhaps some of the import manufacturers would like to see a change, a shift in the current schedule for the corporate average fuel economy standard, which sets an official number of 54.5 MPG by 2025. In reality, it's about 10 miles a gallon lower than that. But they, they, they do worry about can they make it, especially if gas prices stay low right. and they continue to sell a lot of big trucks. And, and remember, even, even the Japanese are selling a lot more SUVs and even pickups now. Uh, so that's, that's the positive. There was no question they were happy to hear him say that he wants to reopen the cafe so-called midterm review. Now, shall we get down to reality beyond that? Would you like me to continue? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. From that point, I don't know what planet Donald Trump was on. <laughs> it certainly wasn't planet 2017 Detroit. Uh, last I looked, General Motors and Ford in particular were delivering great profits. You know, they have some issues here and there. Yeah, uh, GM got a little hurt by Europe. Uh, sure. Ford had some issues, but by and large, these guys are making tons of money, uh, and a lot of things are going right. The market has shifted in their direction. They are leaner, meaner companies than they were in, say, 2008, 2009, 2010. Uh, Donald Trump seemed to be talking about the auto industry coming out of the recession as if he's wiped out all memory of what's happened under the Obama administration, and uh, uh, that, that seemed particularly peculiar. He also had some import or foreign-owned executives there, uh, Jim Lentz from uh, Toyota, they 
first American to head uh, the North American operations right. of a Japanese manufacturer at the level that he does. I mean, he's, he's really an American in charge, not a, a face. And I think he was a little bit awkward uh, in, in sitting there, uh, feeling a little awkward, because here Donald Trump is talking about how beautiful it is to have American cars and so on. Uh, the curious thing is, while Detroit was slimming down, closing factories and so on, it was the Japanese and to a somewhat lesser degree, the Koreans and Europeans who were actually adding tons of new factories, right. parts plants, engine plants and assembly plants in North America. They build the vast majority of the cars that they sell in the U.S. in the U.S. In the United so States, it was yeah. as if he was totally out of touch with that reality as well. Uh, it, it was more about a campaign appearance with lots of CEOs surrounding him than it was something that seemed to make a lot of practical sense about what he was going to do for the auto industry. And I, I think the question then is, who was the target audience for that message? I mean, who is the the, the voter or the auto industry executive who thinks things are still so awful, who thinks things are still so bad and that the industry is in need of some major, major shakeup? Well, again, as I said, uh, the industry would like to have a rollback of regulations. There's lots of people that want a rollback of regulations, not just CAFE, but we're hearing that there may be cuts coming in to NHTSA, the, the traffic safety agency, and so on. Uh, though I think that that might not fly with the broader population, who yeah. uh, have uh, you know, w which has really reacted badly when there have been lapses in government regulation of automakers and safety issues like uh, the GM ignition switch and the uh, Takata airbags. So I think that wouldn't fly very well. Uh, but auto workers are a curious bunch. As you know, they are historically democratic, but they swung very heavily. They helped swing the state to uh, candidate Trump in 2016. Uh, and the UAW has been doing this, this peculiar uh, merengue with Mr. Trump trying to be both his opposition and his support. Right. They want certain issues like a repeal of NAFTA and the like. So uh, I, I think he was looking to a lot of auto workers who might be uh, open to the message about manufacturing, even though the auto industry is the place where American manufacturing has shined. Right. Over the last two decades. Yeah, Mexico's taken business, but the number of jobs, the number of plants that have come to the United States, the number of import automobiles from Japan, Korea, and Europe that are now built in the United States rather than imported has grown substantially over the, the past two decades. Yeah, uh, This is Detroit Today on <clears throat> 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Paul Eisenstein. He's the publisher of the DetroitBureau.com. We are talking about President Donald Trump's visit to Detroit yesterday, talking about the auto industry, what he plans to do with uh, regulations, uh, cafe standards and other regulations that the industry uh, is subject to uh, in a little bit. Uh, WDET's Sasha Ryan will be here to talk about Ben Carson's visit to Detroit yesterday, Secretary of 
Housing and Urban Development, was also here on what he calls a listening tour. We'll hear about what he heard and what he said. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. What did you think of what the president said about the auto industry yesterday? What did you think about the running down of the auto industry that he seemed to do? The dire consequences or the dire situation that he seemed to describe that the auto industry is in. Is that the reality from where you stand? Is that uh, where we are in Detroit still trying to get back up on our feet with uh, the major industry in our town? Also, uh, give us a call about uh, Ben Carson. What did you hear from him yesterday that you thought was either uh, hopeful or perhaps uh, gave you a little bit of angst? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today will try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Paul, I'm I'm wondering what uh, I'm wondering what you think the outlook is for the auto industry if, for instance, we get rid of these cafe standards. I mean, we've seen, like I said, we've seen uh, tremendous years for the Detroit Three <clears throat> over the past few years, years that we could not have imagined in uh, 2008 or 2009 uh, if you relax those standards uh, do, do we get to do we get to 20 million units do we do we I mean th- does the industry really just take off uh, you know it, this is an interesting issue as you were leading into this I was, I was trying to think about where I'd like I'd like the conversation to go and you touched on a couple of points um, the auto industry turned out to be the engine that could during the emergence from the recession. It really helped kickstart the U.S. economy. And we have seen three years of record sales, which, by the way, very few people expected that this round, this economic round, would get up to anywhere near the numbers we saw. Now, one of the tests for Donald Trump as president will be what happens in the auto industry in the next year or two. We're seeing the auto industry slow down. Sales are slowing. And it'll be a question of whether the the economy and the auto market can regain a little momentum in the coming months. He could wind up in a very bad place having to find a way to explain why U.S. car sales start to slide in 17 and going into 18 uh, with the midterm elections. So that could be a big problem for him. Yeah. Um, uh, that That's one issue to consider. Uh, Regulations could they could they help? Yeah, possibly if they if they help cut costs and the automakers can and decide to pass it on to consumers rather than just higher profits. Uh, now the, the the other question, Steve, is this: What did he actually give the automakers yesterday? Right. Some folks had thought he might go as far as slashing cafe, perhaps coming up with a lower number or even eliminating the standard. And uh, that he might take away the waiver that allows California to set its own clean air standards and thus require the industry to build zero emission vehicles, battery electric vehicles, hydrogen cars and the like. He didn't do either of those. He simply said, we're reopening the review that the Obama administration admittedly rushed through right, right. before they before left, they left office. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and there were people, even even among middle of the roaders, who thought that that was a little bit rushed and questioned that strategy. So uh, I, I've talked to a couple of people in the Democratic Party who said they wouldn't have been surprised if any 
Republican came in and said, I'm going to reopen that review. It was too rushed. Right. The I question want to is, look what at is it again. Yeah. Right. And when, when will he do it? He said a deadline of April 18. Now, you've been around this business long enough to know it takes years sure. Sure. for auto industries, auto industry, auto companies to make their investments. They're already making major investments for the old mandate going into place in 2025. And by 18, a lot of those multi-billion dollar spending plans will already be in place. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I talked with Nissan and I talked with Honda executives over the last couple of days. And what they say is, we're not changing our plans a bit. The spending... Yep. And we lose Paul there. All right. Uh, we're going to try to get Paul Eisenstein back on the line. I want to thank him, though, for calling in today to talk about uh, Donald Trump's uh, rhetoric about the auto industry. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Mark in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, uh, good good uh, morning. Hey, hey uh, inter- interesting conversation. My wife uh, and I both work for Ford in the uh, auto industry, uh-huh. and it seems like you listen to a different speech than we listen to. We were both very highly receptive to it. And I think that you have to put the speech in the context of uh, where Trump stands. Trump stands for America first. And when you take a look at what's happened to the auto industry over the last uh, uh, really 50 years, you have a General Motors that went from about a 44 percent market share down to today, what, 24, 25 percent. Ford in the 90s was at 26 percent. Today we're at 15 percent. So we've seen the U.S. makers lose millions of jobs. Okay, but Mark, but Mark, they sold 17.5 million units last year. I mean, the, 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 and the profit sharing for Ford workers was the highest it's been in, I don't know, 15, <laughs> 20 years. What, yeah. what is it you're seeing that's, that's so problematic? The, the fact that we've lost millions of jobs to foreign competitors. And if you actually listen to the speech that, that, that Trump gave, he said he wants, uh, the U.S. companies to be able to sell their product uninhibited to foreign countries. Right, right now, the yeah. foreign car companies sell their products to American consumers with almost no barriers, and they sell them at a competitive price. You can't take a U.S. car or truck. Right, it's hard to do that in another country. Uh, but when you talk about jobs, Mark, you also got to talk about the number of American workers who are working for the foreign companies here. I mean, it's not as if those jobs. Yeah, go it's ahead. A mere, it's a mere pittance compared to what the the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Ma- makes used to employ millions of auto workers in this new yeah. era of automation. It's we're trading thousands of jobs for millions. And yeah. Are we ever going to have uh, Mark? Ban- thank you very much uh, for for calling yeah. and making that point, Paul. I want to give you a Paul Eisenstein is back with us. Give me a give me a, a response to what Mark's saying. Uh, I, I, I I hate to say it, Mark's living in a, in a world that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, factories that used to employ, and I'm talking Detroit factories, that used to employ five, six, seven thousand people to produce maybe 200,000 cars, now can get by producing 400,000 cars in some cases with less than 2,000 workers. Mm-hmm. That is the future, and it doesn't matter if those are GM plants, Ford plants, Fiat Chrysler plants, Toyota plants, Hyundai plants, or Tesla motor plants. I mean, it's automation that's driving the jobs away, not competition. The the fact is, in terms of the number of cars that are sold in the United States that are produced on American soil, we're at the highest percentage that we have seen since the so-called golden era 
of American manufacturing back in the 50s and 60s. 85, 90% of what the key Japanese manufacturers sell in the U.S. is produced in the U.S. with a few coming in from, say, Canada and Mexico. Right. Not as many as you think from Mexico. Uh, and, and that's a key point. In the globalized auto industry, curiously enough, you're going to have more foreign-owned players in sure. this market. The days of 50% GM, that's gone. And, and it's not that, a bad yeah. thing. You have more choice. and Consumers want more choice. It's constrained prices. Your quality is the best it's ever been. People's cars don't break when they own them for the first couple of years. All these positive things have happened, and Americans have voted with their pocketbook for a multitude of auto manufacturers. It's not going back no matter what uh, Donald Trump does. And GM is building cars around the world. In fact, it is the uh, back and forth with VW for the number one manufacturer in the world's largest market, China. So we're in a very different world. There's not going to be major change based on what Mr. Trump talks about. The, The reality is here. Perhaps... The biggest change might be in bringing some auto component manufacturing back to the United States. And I spent some time talking with Matt Simoncini, who is the CEO of Lear. And they have been bringing back jobs. But as Matt told me, he's got a couple of other operations that he's looking at. But you have to understand that when those jobs for those operations left the U.S., they might have employed 500 people. And the plant that will come back because of automation may employ 50 or 75. Right, right. Uh, Paul Eisenstein, publisher of the DetroitBureau.com. As always, thanks for being with us here on Detroit Today. Great to be with you. We'll talk to you again soon. Uh, all right. Also, Ben Carson, uh, Secretary of Housing and Ur- Urban Development, was here in Detroit yesterday. WDET Sasha Ryan was there to hear what he had to say. Let's take a listen to part of Ben Carson's address. And, you know, we all got here in different ways, got here on different boats, but we're all in the same boat now. And if part of the boat sinks, the rest of it's going down, too. I mean, if the boat starts going down, you can go to the penthouse suite, but you're still going down. So we need to start thinking about that and how our history is combined and how our destiny is combined there we are with Ben Carson, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, doubling down on his comments earlier this month about slavery, slavery and immigrants. The idea that Im- slavery uh, was just a form of immigration. Uh, Sasha Ryan, how did that? Uh, how did that that statement uh, get received by the crowd yesterday? Well, it was. Um, it- it was a crowd of mostly students and parents from Carson High School um, who were very happy to be there. And the crowd did not have the opportunity to um, make comments or ask questions, really. So I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> right. No it idea. was a listening tour where he didn't do a lot of listening, I guess. This was more of an of address. Uh, did, did Ben Carson talk about, I think we've all been sort of, eager to see uh, what what his vision is going to be for the, the the secretary or the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Lots of things in Detroit, especially, 
are very deeply connected with HUD policy. A lot of the things that we've seen go on over the last eight years in particular uh, have aided with uh, demolition and blight removal. Uh, we, of, of course, uh, also have lots of people who are dependent on uh, some sort of federal subsidy for their housing. Did he give us any clues about what he thinks about those things or what he would like to do with them? Um, I'm going to say no. I, there really <laughs> wasn't <now. laughs> there was some, a lot of talk about housing, really. the He talked about his own experience um, in housing in Detroit and in Boston. Uh, he talked um, very abstractly about government agencies working together, about people working together, and um, there not being divisions in, in how we handle things. Um, but there were some some... Some things I think people hoped he might touch on, and and that just didn't happen. And in fact, I think most of the housing discussions happened in response to the three students who were able to ask questions. So they asked uh, questions about housing. Um, What were those questions? So the questions were, I do have them here. Um, There was a a question on how HUD will help Detroit in its rebuilding. Um, And uh, he said there's, we have excellent leadership. And uh, our leadership does a good job of leveraging federal support with private partnerships. Um, and so he brought that up a couple times. Like, that's that's an impressive model. And uh, Naya Kidd uh, was a student who asked how he plans to help um, the growing number of low-income families get uh, quality housing. And um, here he said, you know, he threw out some data that there, there are three to four times more people looking for housing than there's housing available, so we need more housing. Um, but we have to figure out ways to um, fund housing better, to really build more cheaply um, so that more people can um, take advantage of it. And he, he used the analogy of acting like a responsible family that buys burger instead uh-huh. of steak. Uh-huh. Um, and he said that uh, that the that HUD needed to well let me not put words in his mouth he he mentioned that there are uninhabitable units in in the public housing system and that that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you mentioned this this comment about people buying burger instead of steak. Uh, there is a strain of thought or ideology throughout, not just Ben Carson, but but this administration, in fact, that, that relies really heavily on this idea that people who are in unfortunate circumstances bear the principal responsibility for those circumstances and, of course, for getting themselves out of this, the, the idea that... Uh, that poor people just basically need to do better in order to not be so poor. That, of course, is at odds with a lot of the historical policy making that goes on at some place like HUD. Uh, and so it's it's a little frustrating. It's a little frustrating to hear him talking about these things, but not following it up with, okay, well, here's what HUD policy would look like if we were to try to to try to implement those kind of things. Yeah, there were there were a lot of phrases like that. There was, you know, a mention of can-do attitudes and not letting people's opinions of you keep you from accomplishing things. And so there were a lot of really abstract references to um, kind of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And it also, as as you suggest, um, it it doesn't talk about very important policy questions. And the the question that was on the table yesterday and still today is the question of what housing programs will look like if there's a $6 billion cut to HUD's funding. Yeah, deep irony in the fact that Ben Carson was here, of course, on the day that, as you point out, uh, the president released his budget, which which really 
just guts the life really out of uh, the Department of HUD and lots of other lots of other places where these policies uh, are supposed to get made. Uh, you know, it, at minimum, it seemed as though it was just sort of a, a show uh, to have him here as opposed to. Uh, you know, a meaningful policy policy gesture. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Uh, I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Sasha Ryan, a reporter here at WDET. She was at the speech that Ben Carson, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, gave uh, in Detroit yesterday. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Tim in Roseville. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for taking my call again, sure. Stephen, and I love your show, and I really like you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, basically, my comment is this. What do you expect from a guy who says things like the pyramids were built by Joseph to store grain? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a knowledge gap, I think, at play here with uh, Secretary Carson uh, that, that we're all hopeful, I, have, I must say, that, that he will work really hard to fill uh, maybe his comments yesterday didn't give us so much faith uh, that that's happened quite yet. Uh, thanks very much for the call there, Tim. Uh, let's go to Colleen in Northville. Colleen, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank Hi. you. Uh-huh. You know, I just wanted to uh, make a comment on Ben Carson's speech. I thought his speech was very um, empowering. Right. I think that the element of you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps is not so much um, putting a you know, all, as you had mentioned, the responsibility for the situation that people find themselves in on themselves, but giving them the ability to think that, you know what, I can get myself out of this. And getting that mindset into people who find themselves in a bad situation is enormous for them to be able to think, I can get myself out of this. And then if they need a helping hand, but to think, that, oh, I'm here and it, I can't do anything unless somebody helps me, is a different mindset. And, and do you I think, also felt do, like... Colleen, do you think most... I, I'm going to make one more point. Colleen, gonna, Colleen hold on a second. Do you think that most poor people believe that? Um, well, I don't know the answer to I that. Mean, but do, I you assign that a, do you assign a... Do you assign a sense of hopelessness, I guess, to poor people that, 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 that they can't they can't get themselves out? I, I have experienced some hopelessness in some of the volunteer work that I have done, and I have also experienced some hopefulness, yeah. and there is a difference sure. um, between those two people when I do the mindset there's a difference in you, you know, know and, and, and I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to belabor the point Colleen and I think I, I appreciate your call and I appreciate your making the point I think there is a lot of myth making however around the idea of what poverty looks like and feels like for people what the answers and solutions are uh, to poverty and and I think we need to be careful about assigning uh, as you point, as you point out, uh, point of view or mindset to to poor people, uh, as opposed to dealing with the policies that 
affect their lives and make them poor in the first place and then, of course, keep them from being able to to move forward. I think that's what we're looking to Ben Carson, Sasha Ryan, to to help us out with. Yeah. In other words, policy. That's (laughs) that's what we we get from the government is policy. And I think um, I'm not, uh, I don't usually cover housing and I'm not an expert, but I know that um, housing policy and how housing um, politics and economics has played out in this country historically has really affected everybody. Yeah. It's affected everybody, and it's it's a really serious issue, and it's 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 just frustrating to not have it taken seriously, to yeah. seriously discussed. Yes. All right, Sasha Ryan, reporter here at WDET. Thanks very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Up next, we're going to hear from the author of the hit book Hidden Figures, the basis for the award-winning movie. Stay with us. Detroit today.